Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. I just want to tell you right now, I'm sitting in a studio, and not particularly air-conditioned studio, but that's not important, and I'm surrounded by snacks, because we're talking about snacks today, and towards the end of the show, we're going to sample some unsampled snacks. And this is not where I need to be right now. Actually, this I haven't really mentioned this publicly, but I'm kind of dieting right now, because as I'm sitting here surrounded by snacks, I'm realizing this is kind of where I was during the pandemic. Like I was under pandemic stress. I had other kinds of really horrible stress in my life. And snacks were a big part of my coping mechanism. (laughs) Mm. So I don't know. I don't know what to say. It's just like I think I might have to call my sponsor at Betty Ford and figure out how am I going to get through the next hour of talking about and eating snacks. A lot of people don't know this, but the uh, very young Ted Cruz sang on that commercial. Uh, all right, so we're talking about snacks today, and I have to begin with a personal reminiscence. So in the late 1980s, there was... <laughs> I can't even talk about it, I don't think. There was a snack called Zeus Chips, and it was sold in a big, bright uh, purple bag, neon purple bag, and it was sort of bow-tied pasta with a kind of nacho cheese flavoring. And it was invented by Annie Withy, who also invented Annie's Macaroni and Cheese and Smart Food. Uh, and it was really, really good. And they, there was a bar in Hartford called Shenanigans. And if you sat at the bar at Shenanigans, it was there in Bulls. They almost needed somebody at the bar whose only job it was to replenish the Zeus Chip Bulls because you, <laughs> you just eat all of them. Um, they were just so, so good. And then they disappeared. And so in 1993... I happened to be uh, sitting in Annie Withy's house uh, interviewing her about the whole thing of being Annie Withy and starting all these famous food brands. But really, the only thing I wanted to talk about was Zeus Chips, <laughs> this kind of lost civilization where, like, I think if Zeus Chips had not vanished, I would be 20 pounds heavier than I am right now, and I'm already trying to lose weight. Um, but I think the world would be a better place. People would be kind of be happier. Anyway, it turned out she was incredibly nostalgic for Zeus Chips, too, and her ex-husband, uh, with whom she was on good terms and who was were operating, they were, they were kind of still operating their businesses together. He, he loved, everybody loved them, but there were all kinds of corporate problems, and apparently Prince Spaghetti was making the, the bow tie pasta, and then they got mad about something, and oh, no, Borden took over, and they didn't care about that. I don't know. It was all this corporate stuff. That's why we don't have Zeus Chips. And, and, and I've discovered there are like message boards. <laughs> message boards on the internet in which I've sort of even kind of participated where people talk about Zeus chips and 
like I say, it's a lost civilization, but a snack can mean so much to you. I think that's sort of true. So joining us, we're going to do all kinds of things today. Towards the end, uh, Chris Prosperi, Julia Pastel are going to join me virtually, and we're going to sample some new snacks. I am surrounded by ominous-looking snacks right now. But uh, for starters, uh, let's uh, talk to uh, Andrea Hernandez, founder of Snacks Shot, an online community of people talking about snacks uh, and so much more. Uh, Andrea, welcome to our show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. So I'd like you to maybe expand a little bit on what I was in my own fumbling way trying to say, which is there is a sense, and I sense this in your work, and I've listened to you talk on uh, your podcast about snack boys and things like that. There's a way in which a snack is more than just a snack, right? A snack is, for for all of us, it's it's satisfying at a kind of gustatory level, but also at some kind of psychological level and, and all kinds of associations we have. I, I don't know, maybe, do you have like sort of a grand unified snack theory? Yeah, 100%. Uh, millennials, and the day, there's data to back this up, uh, we're no longer, uh, you know, eating three meals at the table that become sort of obsolete uh, for millennials and the generations that come after. So, uh, it used to be that your parents would tell you, don't snack because you'll ruin the, me- the meal. And now it's like, you know, jokes on you. The snack has become the entire meal. So I think my theory is that uh, snacks have had a redemption arc, uh, whereas it used to have sort of like a negative connotation to it. It's now, you know, have some sort of revival. And I like to say, you know, snack is back. Yeah, although if a snack is going to be, if if in fact we're going to have generations of people who kind of eat standing up or eat, you know, kind of on the go and 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 therefore realize, then a snack theoretically may have to be a little bit more functional, functional and less pleasurable, right? It's going to need to have, you know, pea powder in it for protein or something, or, or maybe it doesn't. You, you're the expert. I would say, so I, I think it's so funny. We have seen a rise in functional quote-unquote functional because honestly snacks in general food in general beverages in general they have the function of feeding you and hydrating you etc but for the past decade we've had what i call the better for you chasm where we're literally putting up like all these expectations on snacks and we kind of have lost indulgence for indulgence sake so like an example is a cookie dough that has functionality or adaptogens or prebiotic where it's like I get it, but at the same time, like I just want a cookie dough or a snack or a treat that tastes well. It doesn't necessarily have to be as bad, you know, as uh, brands, big food brands and stuff. But, you know, like how about making an actual functional snack that, you know, cleans up after like I finished the, you know, making a mess in the kitchen. So I think, I think yes, but at the same time, we've kind of gone overboard. Um, I made this issue uh, on spiritual snack and the fact that function is going way beyond just like wellness now and there's literally spritz and beverages that the function listed on the can is spiritual upliftness <laughs> so i think i think we're teetering to an extreme there i could have written a whole essay about zeus chips for that particular uh, edition so um so yeah i mean a couple of things there first of all i think you better explain the word adaptogens because there are a lot of people here who are listening who eat snacks but they, oddly enough, don't know what an adaptogen is. <laughs> of course. So adaptogen are uh, herbs, um, plants, roots that help your body adapt to stressors. That's where it comes from, the word. And say, for example, an adaptogen is a specific type of mushroom. So 
uh, you know, a lot of claims have been made that adding these to which I remain very skeptical, you know, that diluting this in the seltzer is going to, you know, make me, uh, you know, have tea with Dalai Lama in some sort of cloud Zen moment. Uh, so I think I think it's become sort of like a new it's the new, in my opinion, it's the new organic. Right. I think that that there could be some validity around using this as like a supplement, et cetera. But you know, adding this to cookie dough, I don't know how much zen you're going to be feeling. I mean, cookie dough itself is already a treat. It already makes me feel happy. I don't know why it needs to have anything else yeah, on it. <laughs> uh, on your Substack, I actually did see um, a canned beverage called Immoral. Uh, you see what they did there. They did a Morel mushroom joke. But this is a, a sparkling mushroom tea, which just sounds unbelievably gross, among other things. But there is that sense that uh, a lot of things now have mushrooms in implausible ways or for the extra crunch, quinoa, you know, quinoa crisps, things that somebody maybe my age, I'm like a snack geezer as opposed to a snack boy. Um, I just don't associate those things with snacks. Yeah. So by the way, a snack boy, uh, the definition of it is like a parody of think of that person who spends too much at the beverage dial of whatever trendy equivalent of Erewhon there is in the in the Northeast Coast. But yeah, it's someone who spends too much time deciding between CBD and adaptogens or THC and tropics instead of, you know, maybe spending that money on therapy because a lot of these products are pretty expensive. Let me tell you, <laughs> $6 for a can of what is inherently just sparkling water, but you know. But yeah, it's the, but it's the <laughs> vibe. Yeah, and I do like your idea. I don't want to rush past it. Uh, I like the idea that you were sort of referencing uh, earlier of maybe some kind of snack that would have like nanobots in it that would clean up the kitchen, like you know all the little sort of sprinkled cheese dust and stuff like that. The little nanobots would come out of the <laughs> snack package and just sort of erase all traces of the snack crime you had committed. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like we should have, you know, apparatives that call you an Uber when, you know, the situation gets socially awkward. Like, talk about that kind of function. So there also, I think, are, and, and this, you know, you're way younger, so maybe this doesn't even pop out at you. One thing that I was noticing is there are also new kind of understood flavors, and sometimes they are based on actual food things. For example, it looks to me like if you have a snack product that has more than four iterations of it, the fifth one better be churro, right? Churro is like, uh, is everything's got to be yeah. churro. Yeah. yeah, I would say a good uh, a good example of a, a recent brand that launched that did come up with like this like Mexican hot chocolate churro kind of flavor is uh, this brand called Pups. And to the point that I think we reached peak function, this brand actually launched with a label that says not healthy <laughs> in their in their packaging and i really love that i think the pendulum the pendulum is swinging back but yeah to your point they have like uh salt and vinegar i think they have a cream and like onion cream one and one of them is uh cheddar and then the other one is the mexican chocolate churro one so they're 100 percent Right on that. <laughs> Does that feel like cultural appropriation? I mean, like suddenly every, any schmuck can put out something called churro? I would say, yeah, I think there is a lot to, to, to say that there is there is many of these like uh, flavors that are maybe not as, uh, I would say, authentic because their founders are, you know, not from that specific uh, group of of people that that that's where they like this ingredient heralds from um but i will say like 
you know, tapache is a good example of that. Tapache has become sort of like, quote unquote, the new kombucha. And I think it just goes back to the, the consumer to kind of just educate themselves. Like, is this someone that's like a legit Mexican founder? Because Tepache is originary from Mexico. You know, I, but I do love that there are brands, uh, you know, you see like Omsom or Five by Jing that are actually like Asian American founders that are sort of claiming their own. So you're like, okay, you know, if someone's going to commodify this, it might as well be us. And I really love to see to see that you're seeing it with Latin American founders and Agua Fresca, for example, as well. So, you know, I think yes and and no. (laughs) I think also if you don't keep up with this kind of stuff, for example, today I was looking at a product called Snacklins, uh, and one of the flavors of Snacklins is Chesapeake Bay flavor. And I'm not, I, I was not familiar with that term, and I'm looking on the label. What is it? Does it taste like dirty salt water and dead crabs? What does the Chesapeake Bay flavor <laughs> taste like? And it didn't say anywhere. It, it felt like that I would know that. And then I did some more looking, and it turns out Chesapeake Bay flavor is a thing, right? You're supposed to know what Chesapeake Bay flavor is. <laughs> yeah. No, but I really love that kind of like spoofing. I think I think it's hilarious because it's like when you talk about what original flavor is. I think that's another it's similar to that when people say like original flavor, okay, but what does that actually mean? You know, original to what? And I and I've seen memes like spun out of that and I think I think it's it's funny. I think I like that. And I'm a huge fan of snacklets, by the way. They taste really good. Are they good? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm going down a very dangerous road. I really need to le- lose about 15 pounds and I'm doing this show and I got snacks sitting here and you're telling me about snacks and this is I'm going to have to go straight to Betty Ford after this show, I think, um, and just kind of cool off here a little bit. So one of the things that you do is really look at the future, too. You you go to conferences and uh, you try to see what's coming. So. So, yeah, you're talking a little bit about this interesting trend where the whole idea that all snacks have to be healthy, that they have to have uh, seaweed and mushrooms and pea powder and quinoa in them might be uh, challenged a little bit by almost a nostalgia for bad snacks. It's like it's like the parents of millennials and Gen Zers won't give them the snacks that they, the parents, ate, the really crappy snacks. Um, so there's sort of that. But I'm also kind of wondering what you see – you know, a step or two down the road. What what kind of snacks will be we be eating in five or ten years? Yeah, I think one, first of all, I think you're hundred percent right on this. I think we are as I'm I'm a child of the nineties, I think millennial parents are kind of overcorrecting from what they you know, I guess the trauma of, of growing up on lunchables and gushers and what you're seeing right now is like to an extreme, I think, and this is why I believe the the pendulum is about to swing back, and I'm starting to see a lot more of the resurgence of you know we just want a, a better alternative. Uh, but you know, peeking into the future, honestly, like one of the biggest things that I see is uh, how wearables are going to also affect how F and B trends are created. So I'll give you an example. There's this beverage called Good Idea that it this ingredient that was created in a lab that apparently like helps curve the sugar spikes after you have a meal so that's like actual function that you can you can see through a wearable like the glucose monitor wearables that have become very popular like whoops or levels and so they're able to prove like look when you drink this with your meal you don't have like the it curves your your sugar spike so it doesn't make that like slump feeling after and you're also starting to see uh that like you know, as millennials age, uh, you know, geriatric millennials, et cetera, you're, you've seen like how the, how this like 
uh, snacks are becoming sort of our aid or like going back to basics, like food as pharmacy concept. And I joke that prebiotic seltzers uh, like Olipop and Poppy, they have boomed because millennials just wanted something cooler than Metamucil, right? So I think that looking into the future, uh, how how do these uh, snacks sort of aid us as we age, but also like the the correction that's happening where it's like, okay, you know, like, a, again, overly promising on function isn't really like doing much, right? And why does cookie dough necessitate all these things? Like, how, why can't we just indulge in a snack? You know, again, snacks were meant to be for indulgence. And so I think those two major things, I would say, and it's the intersection of spirituality and snack. And as we untether from organized religions, how we're trying to full, like fill in those and ground ground ourselves with uh, these six dollar uh, seltzers that promise us spiritual uplifting and Palo Santo brews uh, made with organic quartz you know, meditating on the number seven and supposed to give us some sort of energetic protection and how, you know, <laughs> these snacks are coming in to fill voids of us sort of in, uh, undoing indoctrination into these, like, I guess, like old structures. But yeah, it's, pretty, well, it's a pretty interesting future. <laughs> yeah. And I, the future, the present and the future also includes the increasing uh, legalization of cannabis derived or THC containing products. I'm guessing psilocybin isn't too far back down oh, the yeah, line too. Oh yeah, 100%. So, I, I, psychoactive snacks is already out there, by the way. <laughs> so I love psychoactive <laughs> snacks. Well, it used to be, you know, back in the day, people would smoke pot, they'd get high, and then they have to go to 7-Eleven and buy eight pounds of Doritos. And now it's sort of like the whole experience will be self-contained, right? You'll be you'll be eating the munchie that's going to make you high. Yeah, literally, THC, there's this co- company called Tempo Crackers. But this is the dangerous thing, kind of like, you want to eat the entire bag, but you know, like, shit, you just, like, put so much THC into your body, you have not... So this is one of the things that I warn about. It's like, by the way, like, to get control yourself, that's, like, a, a whole different thing. But psychedelic water, for example, that's literally what it's called. It's a beverage that uses uh, kava, which kava is a psychoactive, not a psychedelic. So it's legally, like, like okay uh, for it to be out there. There's another plant called Kana that recently there's a brand that launched Kana Chews that are supposed to be these mood altering and that offer like MDMA like effects. Um, and all of these are are what I call psychedelic adjacent. But but that's already there. It's happening. And I think as legalization spread, hopefully you're going to start to see a lot more. Uh, just look at Canada, right? Like Canada's like cannabis, THC, psychedelic snack industry is thriving to the point that they're coming in and opening up a shop in the U.S. wherever it's legal. So. Right. No, actually, now a lot of you can enter Canada and a lot of it signs to say, welcome to Canada. We are totally messed up. Um, so um, a last question. This is sort of gets into the kind of uh, behind the scenes of the show, because later in the show, Andrea, and I'm so sorry we can't include you in this, although I think it wouldn't be particularly exciting for you, given what your life is like, but we are going to sample a fusion of rich crackers with peanut butter and then Oreo. So in other words, the company has fused together uh, a Ritz cracker, a layer of peanut butter, a layer of the white Oreo frosting, and then the Oreo cookie. But the thing is, it's like almost impossible to get it. We had to buy it on eBay, a very small quantity of these things for like 40 bucks. So you have a background in marketing. Why do they do that? Why are they putting, <laughs> why are they putting out a product that I can't buy? 
Okay, so one, just so you know, Oreo is known to put out like weird flavors just to make you one nostalgic for the original one. And two, one of the reasons they do this is more to create hype and sort of FOMO around it, but they're not going to go and alter their supply chain to really like make sure that this is available like everywhere, right? And, and one of the things, there's a really great article on Eater that talks about why chip flavors in the US are so bland. And the reality is, if you think about these brands, they're like huge conglomerates. So in order for them to like really adjust something at that grand scale, like necessitates a lot of resources. And uh, that's not something that they're looking to be altering constantly. So they try to like go for whenever they do these things, they do limited drops about like uh, around them. Most of them now are operating on sweepstakes kind of thing where it's like you don't even get to buy it in a store. It's all sweepstakes. Like if you earn it, whatever, like Pepsi, syrup, Coca, Pepsi, zero can, for example. And then it's it's literally that. It's like, what what is it going to appeal to mainstream? There's a lot of data and stuff that they use to kind of try and justify whether this is worth, you know, really investing in or not. So that's why you can't really find them. Oh, so the mystery, mystery solved. All right. So I just want to say before we go to break here, later on, we are actually going to be eating Irish potato chips with sour cream and shamrock. And it says on the bag contains real shamrock. So the, so there, there's an interesting flavor for you. Andrea Hernandez, founder of Snack Shot. That's uh, Snacks with an X. Uh, an online community of people talking about snacks. Uh, she's got a substack. She's got everything. So we'll take a little break. Then we're going to tell you a little bit about, I don't know, kind of the dark side of snacks. Fair enough. Uh, after this. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. So starting around 1960, I think, <laughs> the, the great actor Burt Lahr, who was before this known as the Cowardly Lion and the Wizard of Oz and lots of other things, he started doing these commercials for Lay's potato chips. And, and they went on and on for years and years and years. And he was always in different costumes, although very tellingly, one of the commercials featured the regular Burt Lahr and then also Burt Lahr, but dressed up as the devil. And the devil was getting Burt Lahr to eat Lay's potato chips. But the tagline for all of these commercials was the same. It was, bet you can't eat just one, which in retrospect and in light of the conversation we're about to have feels 
both like a marketing slogan and a confession, because it turns out that these companies were engineering food exactly for that purpose, so that you would not be able to eat just one. That's exactly what they wanted to have be the case. And they may have taken certain chemical shortcuts to get there. Here to explain all of that is Mark Schatzker, writer in residence at the Modern Diet and Physiology Research Center affiliated with Yale University, the author of The End of Craving, The Dorito Effect, and Steak. And he's with us right now. Hi, Mark. Hello. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit about this. And let's fast forward a little bit away from Bert Lahr and towards the invention of the Dorito, because I think that this is a pretty good example. And, and so tell the story of this. There's a guy named Arch West who's not a food scientist. He's more like a madman account executive kind of. He's like the guy who would go hire Don Draper, right? And, and he decides they need a new snack. Yeah, exactly. He he was working on Madison Avenue. I think he worked in, you know, Jell-O pudding, Campbell's soups, and he gets hired to be the VP of sales and marketing for the Frito company, which then merged with Frito-Lay to become the company we all know. And he took a trip to Southern California with his family in the early 1960s. And he was passing what his daughter described to me as a little Mexican shack by the side of the road. And he just had to stop. And there he tried for the first time a tortilla chip. And he is seized with a vision that this is going to be the next big thing for Frito-Lay. So he brings it back. He presents it to the company bigwigs and they shut him down. They say, why would we need this? We have Fritos, which are kind of like tortilla chips. But Arch West is so convinced that he actually funnels discretionary funds (laughs) to an offsite facility and develops his baby, this this brainchild of his. He, He pitches it again. And this time he's got a name for it, which sort of means little piece of gold in a pigeon sort of non-Spanish. They're called Doritos. And I know what you're thinking. This is the moment the world changed. And this is the moment not quite didn't change because the first ever Doritos were just like those tortilla chips on the side of the road, just salted tortilla chips, the kind that we dip in, you know, in dip, something that needs something to be put on it to be tasty. And they bombed. The complaint was the snack sounds Mexican. It doesn't taste Mexican. So Arch West has to face his his corporate peers, this snack that he wasn't supposed to develop is now not doing well. They say, what are you going to do about Doritos? And he says, let's make him taste like taco. And this elicits laughter. One of them says, our Yankee friend from the North doesn't know the difference between a thing and a flavor. And it was a great comment because up until that time, different things had different flavors. If you wanted to eat a hot dog and taste a hot dog, well, you had to get a hot dog. If you wanted to taste grape, you know, authentic, real grape, you had to get an actual grape. But Arch West knew that things were changing thanks to the invention of a device called the gas chromatograph. We now had the ability to make whatever food we wanted to taste like whatever we wanted. And so Frito-Lay imbued taco-ness onto Doritos, and this changed everything. And I want you to think about how important this is, because this is a chip that people didn't really want to eat. They said it tasted boring. They didn't add more carbs, more fat, more salt. They added a dusting of chemical flavor, and that turned a chip nobody wanted into a chip people could not get enough of. Right. And so I want to go back to something you said before, because I think it's it's important. And we're, the show today is about snacks, uh, and it applies to snacks as well as to all other kinds of food, which is there's almost a moment, a stick pin moment there. You know, there's almost an Edenic fall when suddenly if you want chicken flavor, you don't need a chicken to be involved. If you want something to taste like strawberry, you don't need something red with leaves on it to be involved. And, and it almost feels in your writing uh, and, and I think in our experience, like we really kind of went off the highway on the wrong exit ramp at that point. Absolutely. I think this was like a tectonic change in our food system, which we didn't even notice. We don't even really question it. We are so obsessed with nutrients. We look at the calories and the sugar and flavor is just like some frivolous thing. 
<laughs> and so it also creates a dynamic where we start to – I mean craving begins to be engineered into the food. It turns out Bert Lahr is absolutely right. You can't eat just one because the company doesn't want you to eat just one. And it actually changes our relationship with food to a certain degree. I know that people who are struggling with obesity, they often don't report enjoying food so much as – I don't know, Mark. It's more like they're scratching an itch as opposed to having a truly f- fulfilling eating experience. That is precisely correct. And this goes against the stigma. You know, people often say people with obesity, they they just don't know moderation. They indulge themselves too much. They wallow in pleasure when other people have the good sense to say enough is enough. And this couldn't be more wrong. What the neuroscience tells us is that the, if you if you look at a, a, an obese brain versus a trim brain, the difference is not let, let's take a milkshake. Everyone thinks, oh, when they take the sip of that milkshake, their brain lights up like a Christmas tree and they just want more and more milkshake. That's not where we see the difference. If anything, the obese brain has a blunted pleasure response. Where we see the difference is when they see the image of the milkshake. The the person with obesity is overcome by desire. They have a spike in dopamine wanting. They really, really, really want that milkshake much, much more than than the trim brain, so to speak. So what we see with obesity is it's, it's characterized by craving, by a desire for food that is never truly met. I mean, it's a miserable condition that way. It's not about enjoying too much. It's about craving too much. I wonder to what degree a lot of this is, I know a lot of it starts in America. I don't know how much of it's rooted in America. I know you, like me, you've been to Japan. And Japan, snacks are like a really different thing for the most part. If you're at a baseball game, you can get like really good food that's recognizably actual food. <laughs> you can get yaki things and you can get noodles anywhere in Japan. You can get noodles if you're on an ambulance ride, they'll give you noodles. But uh, you know, there's I, a- I had a rice ball on yeah. a train. I, I had raw fish on a train. I mean, who would, who would eat in a train in North America period, but raw fish is like suicide. And it was absolutely delicious. <laughs> so there's this sense that maybe there are cultures still, including very well industrialized and modernist cultures, where that idea, we're just going to give you chemicals to make you think you like this thing, isn't maybe so much as in force as it is here? I, I would say we have a different view on on food. If you look at Japan and Italy, they're very interesting cultures in that they place a very high regard on the origin of food. The Japanese have brands, that way they have Kobe beef and Matsuzaka beef. The Italians have DOP, you know, that the, the the origin is protected. You can only call San Marzano tomatoes if they come from San Marzano, and it's a particular variety. Um, we seem to be of the mind that so long as it tastes good, you know, what's the difference? And I don't think we're we're not nearly as finicky, and we don't take nearly uh, the same kind of pride in the origin of food. Right. Uh, since watching the bear too, I'm actually wa- buying San Marzano tomatoes, even though they're more expensive because what, it was great product placement. So. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about, first of all, I'm interested, obviously you're somebody very conscious uh, of food and of what's in food and why we want food. I mean, this is that sort of your jam. So how do you approach snacking? I mean, do you have any guilty pleasures in the world of snacking? Yes. I mean, potato chips are a great example. Um, I find often when you start to eat them, you can't stop. Like you go to a party and you're like, well, I'm just going to have one or something. And then, you you know, you're going back to it and you get that like zest all over your hand and you're like, okay, I'm done. And you go and wash your hands and you dry your hands. And then no, you go back again. You're like, I got this orange zest on my hand again. And what I find interesting is that I think we have a, a very inexact language when it comes to pleasure, because we would say, well, that potato chip's delicious. But I would say it's, that word can mean more than one thing. It's, it's not delicious the same way a piece of dark chocolate is 
or a glass of red wine. Some foods we eat quickly. We have this kind of aggressive, you're stuffing your face. You can't eat quick, you know, quickly enough. And some foods slow things down. They're more meditative. They're more immersive. These engage different brain circuits. And I think different cultures are more in touch with that. You know, bet you can't eat just one. Like, think about it. Do you ever talk about the best potato chip you ever had? Like I was on my honeymoon and we cracked open this bag of chips on a hike and like, no, we don't. But yet when we start to eat them, we get caught in that reinforcing circle of just one after another after another. And I don't think these foods truly pleasure us. I think they kind of pull us into a trap. Right. Once again, it's it's an itch that you're scratching. And once you do that, you can't stop scratching it because you'll feel the itch again. Uh, and, and it does feel as though all of this is designed to not have an off switch. Uh, it's it's the most beautiful piece of commercial food engineering that you would you don't want to stop eating something. Like if you eat a steak, you're done with the steak. It's not like you want another steak, uh, at least unless you have like a gigantic steak problem. And, and so clearly I, I think snacks are in that area, right? There's no particular reason as far as the companies are concerned why we should ever stop snacking. Yeah, and I think that the snacks we're talking about are, I mean, these are totally confected food items. They sort of vaguely resemble stuff in nature. Like, like the interesting thing about soft drinks is that they taste like things in, in, in the forest or in the jungle. They have fruit flavors, but they have none of the stuff that actually makes them good. If you look at potato chips, for example, they taste like things that they are not. I think there's better things you can snack on, snack on like peanuts and so forth, but that's not really how the culture's geared. We're always reaching for those things that, that, that kind of get us into that trap again. Yeah, there's a distinction that you make of wanting versus liking. Uh, do I have that right in the end of craving? Yes. Talk about that. And it's not my distinction. This is a neuroscientist named Kent Barrage who discovered these two distinct and very interesting neural networks, both kind of under the umbrella of pleasure. But one of them, this is the dopamine network, is all about motivation. It's about wanting. It's, and it's important. I mean, in nature, you need to go and get the things you need but then we have this other capacity that not all animals have where we can experience pleasure. This is the, these are, the, you know, opioid, um, the, the opioid circuits, which it's a very different feeling. It's immersive. It's, um, it's the kind of feeling that you truly remember. These are the moments, the food moments that you think back to that, that incredible mushroom or that great steak or that great glass of wine, uh, very different food experiences. You know, as you're talking to, I'm thinking about uh, a scene in the West Wing where the character Leo is an alcoholic, a reformed alcoholic, uh, is, I think, outed by an intern as a former alcoholic. And she says to him that the reason she did it, she's worried because he's the chief of staff to the president. She goes, what if you what if you take a drink? And he says, I don't know. But probably a nightmare the likes of which both our fathers experienced and me, too. So after six and a half years, you're still not allowed to have a drink? The problem is, I don't want a drink. I want 10 drinks. Are things that bad? No. I don't want a drink. I want 10 drinks. And and there's sort of a way in which that describes our relationship to snacks as well. You know, I don't want one potato chip. I want 10. I want a whole bag. I want a big bag. So, you know, with that in mind, are there things that people can do to sort of circuit break here to to kind of disrupt i mean uh, you, we can obviously abstain from potato chips and that might be a pretty good idea but let's say we don't want to what can we do to to break the circuit 
Well, I would say um, I think flavoring is an interesting thing that, you know, the reason we have this flavor sensing equipment, the, the nose and mouth, extremely sensitive chemical sensing apparatus. It's how the brain finds nutrition in nature. And we're really short circuiting things when we start to use flavors and things like sweeteners out of context, out of their nutritional context. So I would say a good rule of thumb is to just eat things that taste like what they are. That sounds really weird, but it's mm -hmm. actually not that easy to do. So when it comes to something like potato chips, um, you know, I've got a family, we buy, we don't eat them all the time, but if you're going to get a bag of potato chips, just get plain potato chips. And, um, you know, that, that'll give you that, that you want the crunch, you get the salt, but it doesn't pull you into that trap in quite the same way. If you follow that logic, you start to consume, you know, you're not drinking as many soft drinks. And over time you find like, it's been a few months, you have a sip of Pepsi or Coke and you're like, oh my God, that tastes, it's like sweetened, you know, bubbly syrup. So over time, I think you can train your palate away from this stuff, but it's very challenging because as our body gets, gets used to these things and gets used to a certain caloric intake, it gets really hard to start to change that. So the most important thing we can do, I think is as a culture is get away from this stuff and not subject our children to it, raise them in an environment where they, it's not so much that they develop healthy eating habits so much as they want to eat the right food. So uh, it also seems as though, tell me if I'm wrong about this, it sometimes feels as though the food companies are experimenting on us. I mean, they do a lot of experimenting, I'm sure, sort of to get to the point of bringing something to market. But I also feel like that sometimes they'll do these kind of these limited time flavors of things. And, and you know, when you talk about the potato chips and abstain from the ones that are flavored, it seems like they're constantly coming up with, you know, a gin marshmallow jalapeno flavored potato chip or just some flavor of a potato chip that just not only doesn't exist in nature, but I wouldn't have imagined it if I spent all day thinking of it. Are they trying to see if they can find another flavor? to get us to want? Absolutely, they are. Uh, and, and, you know, the best test is the consumer marketplace. But I've talked to sensory scientists who said they were approached in the 80s, the 90s by food scientists at these big companies, and they have a term for it. They call it Moorish. They, they said, what is the secret to designing <laughs> snacks that make people want to eat more? And this is important, again, because this gets to this this neural network, you know, people talk about a bliss point. I don't think these foods are about bliss. I think these foods are about making you want to stuff your face. And they know what they're doing. They, they, you know, these are the foods people buy that, you know, the, the money starts coming and it's a revenue stream. And of course, they are incentivized to, you know, to get as much of it as they can. So, yeah, they test on us. They, I went into the store the other day and there's all these new flavors. And they say, you know, vote for your favorite flavor <laughs> by buying it. Right. I long for the days when Moorish referred to Othello. Mark Schatzker is the author of many books, including The End of Craving, The Dorito Effect, and Steak. Thank you for taking the time to speak to us. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And we're back. Uh, time to say some thank yous. Got a lot of people in the studio today. This is very unusual. Cat Pastor, as usual, is our technical producer. This particular episode was produced by Jennifer LaRue. She's in the studio today along with senior producer Lily Tyson. Uh, and we, we have one more segment to go. And so we got together with two of our friends virtually. 
Uh, Julia Pistel, who also produces for us and does many other things, freelance writer, co-founder of CT Improv in Hartford. I think she just became a docent. So I don't know. I can't keep up with it all. It's just too much. Uh, and Chris Prosperi uh, is, chief, is chef and owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, uh, and has participated in many ill-conceived uh, tasting uh, enterprises with us, including... Well, things that I don't even want to think about anymore. Uh, but yes, Soylent. We, <laughs> we did consume Soylent together, and that was weird. So, Julia, I think yes. I'm not. I think I'm not talking out of uh, school when I say you're <laughs> pregnant right now, which I assume means that you a have permission to eat all the weird and disgusting stuff that we have sitting here, and possibly, sure. possibly even crave it. Yeah, I mean, I. <laughs> I'm like, why am I on this show? This is great. I am a lifelong snack lover. I don't need to be pregnant to have permission to eat whatever I want. Um, But yeah, I, you know, this is my second pregnancy. And my other one, I ate a ton of savory foods and salty foods. And this one's definitely a sugar baby. So uh, yeah, I'm ready to eat anything and everything. All right. So we should say that what we have here, we have here the aforementioned fusion does it even have a real name? It's just Rich or Ritz Oreo in one. Does it doesn't really seem to have a sort of chimera name that sort of indicates what it is. Uh, we have that, uh, which cost us forty dollars on eBay for just a very few of them. Uh, we do have the uh, potato chips with shamrock infusion in them or sh- shamrock <laughs> extract. See. Chris, I feel like that one, I mean, you did have kind of a potato chip problem, and I have like a lifelong potato chip. I mean, remember, I remember when you had to stop eating potato chips. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm really yeah. saying. Yeah, yeah. I, and I was telling uh, Jennifer, I keep mine in the freezer, and that is, it, it, it really helps you eat even more, which is the <laughs> worst thing you can do. <laughs> yes, absolutely. All right, I feel like we should we we have to explore strange new worlds, and so I think we have to do. I'm gonna. I have not eaten one of these Ritz cracker Oreo fusion things that were so expensive. So I'm gonna. Yeah, eat. mine was delivered by Jennifer in a Ziploc bag in the most <laughs> sketchy possible way. So right. I'm very excited. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so it's kind of broken up a little. Yeah. And there's. I'm well, like, the, this is kind of. I don't know. The, well, the Ritz cracker integrity is not good, right? There's a, like they were really, really not made to do this job. They're being sent into space, despite the fact that they were working in the steno pool a day or a day ago. You know, they don't really know how to do this. So, all right, I'm going to bite into one. I'm sorry. Right, here we go. People who have misophonia where you can't send to listen to people do this. I'm really sorry. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll start. I, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I, I am too. I mean, I don't know how okay I am. Because yeah. my whole goal is to not like any of this stuff because I'm on a, I'm trying to lose weight right now. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, I mean, so Julia, you know, you were talking yeah. about sweet versus salty. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the goal here is to deliver both sensations in some kind of intriguing balance. And I guess yeah. the question is, did they hit that mark? Yeah, I think it tastes good. Um, but I would question the need. Okay, so I'm inherently irritated by products that – um, take away our human creativity and mixing snacks the way we want. Like I could make this at home, right? It's like when you yep. see a jar of the peanut butter and jelly and they're both in the jar. Oh yeah. You know, that is just, that gets me right. So this is the same thing. It's, I feel like now I'm being told I have to eat these things together 
Whereas I want to put anything <laughs> I want on an Oreo. Yeah, I hate it when the state police come in. They say you have to eat this right now. Uh, immediately, you have no option. So, yeah, and Chris, I do feel like at the level of aftertaste, the Oreo is defeating the Ritz cracker, right? Yeah. The Ritz cracker can't stand up to yeah. the Oreo. It leaves you with the cracker at the end. But I think that's what salt does. Salt is always because and then it makes you want to if you design it like that, it makes you want more because I'm sitting here going, yeah, that was OK. I don't know if I'd have more. And then as my mouth is getting all that salt now residue, I'm thinking, oh, I could do that again. <laughs> <laughs> so and that's how it works. The other thing that, you know, Julia, to your point uh, about the things that sort of, you know, are already made instead of letting you make them. The other thing that strikes me as weird as is there's an actual problem. Product that you can buy in a bag in a grocery store. I don't know if you can buy it here. I think well, maybe Walmart has them called Indiana Movie Theater Popcorn. It's, oh. it's you know, and I feel like, you know, movie theater popcorn is like the lowest form of popcorn. It's the popcorn that you have to eat because you have no choice. How dare you? How <laughs> dare you? I knew this was coming. I, I have gone. To, here's my confession. I have gone to a movie theater, walked in, just gotten popcorn and left. I have done that. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> I, I have a friend that goes in and asks them if they can have whatever they put on the popcorn <laughs> to take home for their you know, regular microwave popcorn. <laughs> I mean, I, I do know that one of the chemicals, I read this somewhere, crosses the blood-brain barrier. And I don't know what that means, but I just... <laughs> I feel like eating popcorn that crosses the blood-brain barrier is just asking for trouble. Um, <laughs> all right. So did you, has anybody already tried the shamrock uh, potato chips? No, I'm going to do it right now. They're, no. I, I've already, okay, you guys tried them. I, I already I had a moment with them during the B segment. So while you're crunching, let me just say that this is called Kios. Uh, Irish potato chips. They're actually made in Ireland. It's, it says on the package contains real shamrock because who doesn't want that? I mean, actually, anytime I'm out on a hike and I see some, uh, I just fill my face with them. One of my favorite things, too, is that there's a thing called spud nav on the back. It's a QR code that somehow or other allows you to track. It tra you can trace this back to the potato field it came from. That, that's the most Irish thing ever. You know, it's like I really need to know whether this came <laughs> From Kavanaugh's potato, potato field, yeah, or or, or McTavish's uh, uh, potato field. So, so Chris, I think you should go first because you are the potato chip connoisseur. Okay. I, I first want to say I've never had a potato chip I didn't like. Right, exactly. And, and this is going in there. I don't know if I taste the grass. I'm oh, sorry, shamrock. Yeah. Um, but I, I would I would put. Uh, I'm going to put these in the freezer right next to my <laughs> deep river potato chips and my Frito and my Lay's potato chips. And it'll it'll have a place in the freezer for now. Right. I should. There's little green flecks in it. Although those I believe are mm -hmm. parsley. They're not. They're not shamrock. The shamrock is in the form of an extract. So there you go. So Julia, how about you? How, how's that working for you? I wish they tasted more weird. Yeah. Uh, you know, like they taste pretty close to sour cream and onion chips. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, and I wish they tasted like, you know, when you're a kid and uh, this is going to be weird, you're like pretending to be a cowboy or like a farm girl and you put a piece of grass in your mouth and you like really taste that grass. Mm -hmm. I was expecting a little more of that, you know, like that's my main grass tasting experience. Right. But, um, this is too normal. Yeah. I want it weirder. No, I, 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 for a while I was dating a horse and we would go out and we would, you know, so I. <laughs> 
And that's not even a childhood thing. So, by the way, while we've been doing this, if we needed to wash things down, uh, Jennifer LaRue has given us Coca-Cola Starlight. I don't know whether this is tied to the Webb Space Telescope or something. It's a limited edition of Coca-Cola. It is reddish in hue. And I don't know. It's pretty disgusting, I think. (laughs) But I am not going to taste this one. I'm going to put this one in the basement. Yeah. And, in, you know, I'm going to hide it like in the foundation. And in, in a few hundred years, someone is going to tear down the house and find it. Oh, I thought you were going to sell it on eBay. <laughs> no, no. I think I'm just going to leave it there. And, you know, 100 years or 200 years, they'll know civilization in the 2020s by Starlight Coke. So you're going to let some sentient robot come and drink your Coke is basically what you're saying. Because <laughs> yeah, there's yeah, not going to be people. Any, there won't be people left at all. There won't be none of them. All right. So we're, are, we're short on time here. Um, and I don't know if you guys had specific preferences. We do have, continuing the potato chips, potato, Reese's potato chip cup, big cup, which is like a big uh, Reese's peanut butter cup, except there's potato chip filling. Mine have melted into slag. Um, uh, I can see Chris giving a thumbs up. Um, I am so glad I agree with a renowned chef. I think sometimes <laughs> corporations are evil and sometimes corporations are fantastic. And this is really good. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is a really opposite of the Coke experience. This is, I will buy this. Because you were upset when Reese's was putting little kittens in their peanut butter cups. (laughs) They weren't a good company. That's a a joke. That didn't ever happen. Go ahead. I will eat a Reese's peanut butter cup and crumble potato chips on top. So I'm already there. Oh, you've actually, so you're back to Julia's earlier point. You've already done this. I've already done. I put last night. I had a pe- leftover pizza. I put it in the microwave, heated it up, and then I sl- walked over to the freezer, crumbled some potato chips, and put it on top of my pizza. I just want to oh say, th- this man runs one of the great restaurants, one of the greatest restaurants in Connecticut. He's an acclaimed chef in every possible way. <laughs> <laughs> it's like there's yes, two Chris Prosperis. chips on top. <laughs> this is Chris Prosperi's evil twin, who does all kinds of things the other Chris Prosperi would never ever do. Um, all right, we have one. We probably have time for one more uh, snack, and uh, we only have two minutes left of the show. But I think um, Julia, you were somewhat partial to the red hot spicy almonds brought to us by yeah, the people. Yeah, I thought Frank. these were good too. I mean, I like hot things, and I like that hot things are a popular flavor now. Yes, um, they were delicious. But I know Chris loves Cracker Jacks. Oh yeah, yeah. Chris, you should say a few words about Cracker Jacks. Childhood. Going to Met games in New York, right? Yeah. And you would get your box of Cracker Jacks. And it's funny because of marketing in your other segments. This is the reason I used to get Cracker Jacks was for the prize because, you know, years ago, the prize was really cool. I opened my prize and this one got a little picture. And then I actually found myself while I was listening to the beginning of the show, going to the website and playing the game with my little prize. It was very fun. <laughs> and I ate all my Cracker Jacks. <laughs> yeah, actually, I was at Betty Ford with Mr. Met, uh, and he he apparently he didn't eat the Cracker Jacks the way you're supposed to. Um, I can't really. Let me just say he liked the crack better than the Urjacks. Uh, I guess that's a better way to put it. So um, so I don't know, Julia, say one or two words about um, the red hot spicy almonds, unless you've said everything you have to say. And then we all have to say goodbye. Yeah, absolutely. I think I like a snack that almost hurts you. I like a snack that makes you cry. I want to be brought to the brink of human emotion by my snack in one way or another. And pain 
Like snacks are a good way to experience pain. So it's uh, it's like it's okay. Fifty Fifty Shades of Snacks. We get it. Yeah, All right, exactly. We exactly have to right. stop now. That's a great place for us to stop, though, with Fifty Shades of Snacks. Have a snack that brings you to the edge of pain, and think of us when that happens, when you're at your climax, so to speak. All right, we have to go. Thanks to everyone who helped out today. You just follow the bouncing Fritos corn chips bag. Ay 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 ay. I am the Frito Bandido. Yay! I like Fritos corn chips. I love them, I do. I want Fritos corn chips. I'll get them from you. Ay, 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 ay. Oh, I am the Frito Bandito. Give me Fritos corn chips and I'll be your friend. The Frito Bandito, you must not offend. Now, boys and girls, you are Frito Bandidos too. You sing the Frito Bandito song, and you loco for crunchy Fritos corn chips. That's nice. Munch, munch, munchy, munchy Fritos corn chips. <laughs>